The following podcast is for informational purposes only, and the opinions expressed therein are not necessarily those of Canal Insurance Company. This information is not designed to replace, substitute, or supplement our client's independent obligation to comply with any laws or regulations. Listeners should complete their own independent research in creation and development of their company's risk management and safety programs. Welcome to episode 16 of the Holland Notes podcast by Canal Insurance Company. I'm Susan Ogle, Senior Loss Control Specialist with Risk Management Services at Canal Insurance Company. This week, I'm joined by Brandon Weissman. He's the president of TruckSafe Consulting and a partner with Childress Law. In today's episode, Brandon and I will be talking about the MCS 150 form, its purpose, who needs to file it, how to file it, along with some common issues that truckers experience when filing. Brandon provides insightful tips and best practices for submitting the report. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brandon. Now let's get rolling. Hi, Brandon. How are you doing today? Hi, Susan. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Great. Well, how are things going out there in the Midwest? Yeah, things are uh, getting a little dreary. Um, we're here in October when we're recording this, so things are starting to turn a little cooler and the leaves are turning, so my my kind of weather. Beautiful time of year indeed. Beautiful time. Um, before we uh, get going here, uh, would you mind please telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. So um, for the last uh, over a decade now, I've um, I've practiced law uh, at first with a large transportation law firm in Indianapolis, um, working primarily with motor carriers on their DOT safety programs and making sure that those programs are compliant with the many regulations that that govern those types of operations, um, helping them with safety ratings and and CSA scores and all of that fun stuff. And so I, I did that for years and years. And then just recently, uh, this year, in fact, I, I branched out on my own. I started my own consulting company called TruckSafe Consulting. And the thought behind that was to um, get a little more hands-on with kind of DOT compliance topics with my clients and, and be able to develop some cutting-edge training materials for motor carriers and their drivers and safety managers. So I did that. And then I also actually teamed up with a, a colleague of mine, Jared Childress, um, and became a partner at his law firm. And so I continue to practice law kind of in this niche area of DOT safety regulations. Wow, uh, that is beautiful. And I know that there are a lot of folks out there that can really use this service there at TruckSafe. And I'm very happy that you're going to be able to help us with the MCS 150. Thank you so much. Um, uh, m moving on with that, then, uh, give us an idea, really, what is the MCS 150 and its purpose and who needs to file? What kind of information do they need or pr need to provide? Sure. Um, help us out with that. 
Yeah. So the MCS-150 form, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a form that's um, used by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, the FMCSA for short. It's one of the many agencies that falls under the United States Department of Transportation, along with others like the Federal Aviation Administration. But the FMCSA is tasked with the responsibility of regulating the safety of highway transportation, so motor carrier operations operating in the in the United States. And so um, one of the, the basic requirements of all motor carriers that operate in interstate commerce, so um, between states, the analysis is a little bit more complex than just crossing state lines, but suffice it to say, carriers that operate in interstate commerce um, and operate certain types of vehicles. Um, they have to register with the FMCSA and get a DOT number um, to, to be able to do that. And so the MCS-150 form has historically been the means by which regulated motor carriers go about getting their DOT number. It's the initial registration type document that they would have filed. Now that process has has uh, transformed fairly recently into an electronic process where motor carriers actually now register initially online using what's called the Unified Registration System, or URS for short. Um, and so the MCS-150 has kind of become just the way that motor carriers who are already registered with the agency go about updating their registration information with the agency. So there's um, there's various pieces of information that the FMCSA uh, requires motor carriers to file uh, with it, including things like, um, you know, general, uh, the name of the carrier, its DBA if it has one, its address, contact information, that type of stuff, basic stuff that you would expect the agency to be collecting on the motor carriers that it regulates. But then it gets a little more in detail about their operations. So it asked them to provide their operation type, whether they're a private motor carrier or a for hire motor carrier, passenger motor carrier. Um, and then also things about cargo classifications, what types of cargo they're hauling, um, some fleet details like their, their uh, annual mileage that they travel, the types of vehicles and the number of vehicles that they operate number of drivers they employ. And then kind of lastly, the the big part of the MCS-150 is, is a compliance certification that all motor carriers have to sign where they're essentially acknowledging that they understand the rules to which they are subject as motor carriers, the safety-related rules, and that they will agree to comply with those rules. So in a nutshell, that's a long way of saying um, that's the MCS-150. It's primarily a registration form that's used by the FMCSA for regulated motor carriers. Okay. Uh, it sounds like all of the information that they are going to need to address filing is uh, going to be something that they're going to have. Now, um, how is that going to be filed? How can they go about filing that registration? Yeah, so as I mentioned, the if we're talking about an initial registration for a, a carrier that's just getting started, that's done online through the URS system. But if we're talking about the um, updates, the periodic updates, I guess we should start by by saying that the FMCSA requires motor carriers to file these updates biennially. So once every two years, they have to file an update. And that update, again, is filed on the MCS-150. Now, 
the, the FMCSA accepts the MCS-150 either uh, in hard copy if the carrier wants to mail or fax it to them. Um, they can do so, and the address is listed on the FMCSA's website where they would send that. Or that can also be filed electronically nowadays. There's, um, there's a way that you can file it electronically on the FMCSA's website. Okay, uh, I want to kind of go back to... Uh, we talked. You talked about the uh, every two years. Uh, what about um, what about any of the changes in someone's fleet, uh, whether that's with vehicles, drivers, numbers of units? I should yeah. say. Uh, when when is it necessary for someone to do that? Yeah, if we, you know, you could kind of look at this two ways. Uh, the first way is to understand that you're going to have a required deadline by which you have to file. So once every two years is the is the deadline that's set in the rules um, by which you have to file the MCS 150 update. Even if you don't really have any changes to your fleet, you still have to file the MCS 150, uh, and just you would indicate that that nothing has really changed since your last update. But the second way to look at this is what's the best practice? How often should I be filing the MCS-150 to update my registration information? And in, in my opinion, that needs to be done anytime there's a, a pretty significant change in any of your registration details, whether it be a change in your registration information, like your address or the contact information. For example, if if the individual that you've listed on your your DOT registration uh, has changed and, you know, for example, their email address is going to be different, you're going to want to up, update that information um, so that the notices that the DOT sends out don't end up going to somebody who's no longer at your organization. So it's important that you keep your contact information up to date. And so the way that you do that would file would be to file an MCS 150 update. Another um, another significant change that I think would warrant uh, an interim MCS 150 update, even if it's not technically required yet due to the deadline, would be things like uh, significant changes to your fleet. So a significant increase in the number of power units that you're operating, or a significant influx in the number of drivers, or a significant reduction for that matter. I think it's good practice to update your MCS 150 anytime there's a big change to your registration details or to your fleet uh, fleet details. Is is there any best practice on if you do have that increase or decrease in your fleet or your driver base, how soon you would want to do that and make those changes and update that? Any recommendation there? Yeah, I mean the thing to keep in mind there, Susan, when when we're talking about changes to the fleet. So uh, I think we should take a step back and and take a look at how the information that's on your MCS 150 can impact your fleet in other ways. And, and this will kind of inform why it's important to, to make these changes when they happen. So, um, you know, the MCS 150 information, the details you put in there is, is, serves more of a purpose other than just registration. So one purpose is that um, this information that you put in your MCS 150 is going to be publicly available. It's it's available online for anybody to see. So um, I can get online on the FMCSA's, it's called their Safer website. You can get on there, you can pull up any motor carrier, any regulated motor carrier by name or DOT number, and I can see the registration details uh, for that carrier in pretty much real time 
time. So anytime there's been uh, an update to a carrier's registration details, I'll see that online. And so it's important to remember that there are going to be groups that are looking, potentially looking at your registration details, whether it be your insurance company, um, whether it be the DOT itself, if it's evaluating you for a potential audit, um, God forbid it be a, a plaintiff's attorney if you get involved in some kind of a serious accident. So just keep in mind that that information is available for all to see online. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is that the some of the information on your on your MCS 150 is also going to influence your safety scores. So every motor carrier, every regulated motor carrier, um, is going to have data that's filtered into what's called the safety measurement system or SMS for short. And this is a system that um, scores motor carriers and ranks them against one another in specific categories of regulatory compliance. And the data that gets filtered into that system is primarily stemming from violations that are discovered during roadside inspections. So when your truck gets pulled over, your driver gets inspected and has like an hours of service violation, that violation is going to end up on your SMS scores. And so all that's to say your MCS 150 data comes into play and influences some of those scores. So some of those scores are going to be calculated. There's a pretty complex uh, methodology for calculating each of these scores in the various categories. And But suffice it to say, some of the scores are influenced by the number of power units that you've listed on your MCS 150. So and that's a key point to take away from this. So, for example, let's say that I list 50, uh, 50 trucks on my MCS 150, and then I'm continuing to operate, and I, I've got a number of violations from roadside inspections. But then over time, my my fleet starts to grow, and I grow to I double my fleet size, and now I have a hundred trucks. But let's say I don't update my MCS 150. Well, if I don't update my MCS 150, it's still showing that I have 50 trucks. And those violations that my new trucks are incurring are being spread across just those 50 trucks rather than the 100 trucks. And so that is artificially inflating some of my scores in my SMS account. And so that's why one of the big reasons why it's important to update your, your fleet details as soon as there's been a pretty significant change so that you get the benefit of the increased fleet size in that example that I just give that I just gave. So those are a couple of things to keep in mind and, and reasons why, it, why it's important to um, keep your, your details on your MCS 150 up to date as best as you can. That is, uh, that's so important. And I think that a lot of people miss that, especially of how that will impact those scores on their SMS reports. Say for instance, I have a, you know, kind of the, uh, the situation like your fleet and I had just maybe I had just updated my MCS 150 and within a month something uh, either drastically happens I come into some influx of money I add to my fleet uh, or I decrease my fleet maybe I, I need to because I've lost a bunch of drivers or whatever is there any um, problem with with the frequency at which I might make the changes to my MCS 150? Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, so the FMCSA allows you to update it as frequently as you want. So there's really no big issue from a technology standpoint of, of updating it. You can get in there and, and change the information as, as, as often as you'd like. Um, the one thing I should say when we're talking about the MCS 150 data influencing your, your safety scores, I should point out that when it comes to, for example, your fleet size, so the the way that some of the SMS scores are calculated is that they look at your average number of power units over a certain time frame. So I think it's a, a six month time frame. I could be wrong about that, but they they're not just taking, hey, what what is your fleet size as of today? They're they're averaging your fleet size over a certain time period. So that's to help so that um, a, a a significant um, influx of trucks or, uh, or if you sell a bunch of trucks, that average ensures that you're not penalized for a, a big reduction in fleet size. So it looks at an average. So you get the benefit of that. But, um, again, long story short, my, um, my opinion or, or my advice to my clients is to keep it updated whenever there's uh, a pretty significant change. And I guess I would consider a pretty significant change anytime there's been probably like a, like a 15 to 20% increase or decrease in your fleet size. Okay, perfect. That explains a lot. We do get those questions a lot from some of our clients out in the field. Uh, and, uh, the other thing that I run into, and you're probably going to be touching on this, but uh, some fleets inflating the number to obtain contracts from different vendors, uh, say a Walmart who wants X amount of power units in your fleet before they will do business with you. What's the impact of someone trying to inflate that to get a contract? Uh, this is seemingly a pretty formal uh, document, yeah. legal document. What is the, what's the impact of someone doing that? Yeah, I've heard of fleets doing that and it's a bad idea for several reasons. So number one, as you mentioned, Susan, uh, you know, when you're filing the MCS 150, you're making certifications on a federally required document that the information you've provided is accurate. And so I, I've seen it happen and, and the DOT does investigate this where um, falsifying a, a document that you submit to the US DOT can be prosecuted as a criminal offense. So, I, I mean, if that's not reasonable, enough not to do it. I don't know what is. But beyond that, aside from that issue, that's the biggest reason not to do it. But uh, other issues that you'll run into if you artificially inflate your your fleet size on your MCS 150. So um, another area that's influenced by your MCS 150 data are what are called unified carrier registration fees, UCR fees. These are registration fees that all interstate motor carriers pay on an annual basis um, to help fund highway safety initiatives. And the issue here is that UCR fees are calculated in part by your fleet size. So bigger fleets pay more in UCR annual UCR fees than smaller fleets. So if you are artificially inflating your fleet size in order to gain some contracts, you could end up in a situation where you get a UCR audit and they come in and say, well, you listed a hundred trucks on your, uh, on your MCS 150. Why aren't you paying UCR fees at the rate that a hundred truck fleet would be paying? And so you're not going to have a good answer for that. Um, if, if you just did that to gain contracts. So 
you don't want to inflate your, your, uh, fleet count on your MCS 150 because it's just going to cause trouble, um, primarily for, uh, the falsification issue and also for UCR fees. That is fascinating. Yeah. I haven't had anyone, uh, in that situation, but I can imagine that they would certainly not want to be there, um, having to pay extra fees because they inflated their fleet count. Yeah. Um, what what about um, any uh, uh, deactivation issues or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So the DOT, I mean, more and more uh, in recent years is taking pretty swift action to deactivate U.S. DOT numbers for carriers who don't update their MCS 150 by the deadlines uh, of when they're due. So again, at minimum, carriers have to be filing these updates once every two years. And so the regulations are such that if you don't file an update within that two-year time frame, then the DOT can take steps to deactivate your DOT number, and then you're then you don't have a DOT number. So you're operating illegally. If you get your if your trucks get stopped, um, the first thing the officer is going to do is pull up your DOT registration account, and they're going to see a big uh, a big warning that says this. DOT number is deactivated and that's going to lead to, um, that's going to lead to violations and potential penalties. Okay. So one other thing I should mention is the filing deadlines for MCS 150s. Obviously, again, they're, they're due every other year if you're not making interim updates. And um, there's actually a schedule that the FMCSA requires motor carriers to follow when they're filing their biennial updates. And that schedule is dictated by your DOT number. So if you look at your DOT number and if it ends in a certain number, that's going to influence what month you have to make your filing in. So if it ends in a number one, for example, then you're going to have to make your filing by January. Uh, if it ends in a number two, you'd have to make it by February and so on. And then the second to last digit of your DOT number, if it's an odd number, then you have to file your update every odd number calendar year. But if it's an even number, then you have to file your update every even number calendar year. So that's kind of what the DOT uses to, to determine when the deadline is for each regulated motor carrier. That is fabulous information. I don't think that I knew. I probably did, but it's been a long time to think about those DOT numbers and how each digit really plays a role in different things. Yeah, that are so regulatory. Oh my gosh. Well, well and even, you know, it may not come into play most times because carriers who are regularly updating their MCS 150, they're not really concerned about their specific deadline because they're making interim updates to, to their data. So, um, what their actual deadline is doesn't really matter, but for carriers who are only filing these once every two years, they need to know when it's due. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, Brandon, how else might this data be used for this MCS-150? How might that data be utilized by other parties? Yeah, a couple of other areas where we see it come up quite a bit, I guess first would be in the context of an actual DOT audit. Um, so, and the data point that, that I look at 
when I'm helping motor carriers through audits um, is going to be their mileage that they list on their MCS 150. So usually when you're filling out an MCS 150, you're going to list your mileage from your last uh, last calendar year. So if I'm filing it in 2021, I'm probably going to list my full mileage from 2020. And usually I'm, you have to list mileage. Um, it has to be pretty close to your accurate mileage. So a lot of carriers will use their IFTA reports, their fuel tax reports to help them calculate their mileage and they'll list that on the MCS 150. And the way that that comes up in an audit is that mileage, whatever you've listed on the MCS 150, is going to be used by an auditor to calculate your your accident rate. So the rate that they look at when they're auditing your accidents is how many accidents, how many DOT recordable accidents you've had per million miles traveled. And so whatever that number is going to be uh, for your for your fleet based on your DOT recordable accidents and how many million miles you've traveled as listed on your MCS 150 will dictate your accident rate. And if that accident rate is higher than 1.5 accidents per million miles, um, then you're going to fail the accident factor of that audit. And that's going to lead to trouble for you in the context of that audit. So I'm always looking at the mileage and, and, and helping motor carriers understand that they need to make sure that that mileage is accurate, especially if it's, if it's low on your MCS 150, you're going to want to uh, make sure that it's up to date and that it's, that it's as high as, as possible, obviously it needs to be accurate. So um, so that that can influence your, uh, your accident rate in context of an audit. So that's one big area where you see the data come up. Another one is in litigation. So, um, again, God forbid you get involved in a, in an, in an accident that ends up in litigation. Um, you can bet that the plaintiff's attorney in that case is going to be requesting all of your registration data and gaining access to it and looking at, you know, any information that you've listed on the report, they're going to be looking at your CSA data. So um, all of this, all of this kind of plays into the narrative that they're going to tell uh, if it goes to a, to a jury and kind of use it to influence the case. So all that's to say is that you just need to make sure that the information you provide is up to date, accurate, and understand that it's going to be publicly available and it's going to be potentially used against you if if you end up in litigation. So, uh, yes, and I think that that uh, litigation point is is really important, and in the consistency in which you're reporting. Uh, each time is going to be very important as well. Anything else that you can think of, Brandon? Uh, this has really been extremely valuable. I've learned some things today. I know I have, and I certainly appreciate it. Um, anything yeah. you can think of? No, I, not off the top of my head, Susan. I'll just um, say that you know, there's, if you're a new carrier and you're having trouble with understanding the MCS 150, the DOT does have pretty good instructions available, uh, on, on the information and what exactly, uh, it means to answer questions a certain way. For example, um, some of the, uh, cargo classifications that you list on your MCS 150, for example, if you inadvertently indicate that you haul certain types of hazmat, that may prompt the DOT to say, well, you need a, you need a higher level of insurance. 
insurance than what you have on file because certain hazmat requires higher insurance levels. And so you need to be careful to understand what it is that you're putting in the MCS 150. So I recommend that you take a, a close look at the instructions that the DOT has on the MCS 150 form. If you just Google MCS 150 instructions, it'll pull right up. So take a look there. And then certainly if if you have any questions about um, how to fill out the MCS 150 or the implications of the data you put in there, um, don't hesitate to get in contact with me. You can reach us through our website at trucksafeconsulting.com. That is perfect. I was just going to ask how to really get a hold of you. If folks would like to learn a little bit more about this or any other safety topics that you have available there at TruckSafe, um, I um I really appreciate all of this information, um, your expertise, and uh, spelling it out in layman's terms for some of us here. <laughs> yeah, um, no problem. Um, that's what we try and do. We've got, I, I mean, if anybody's interested in going to our website again at trucksafeconsulting.com, we, uh, we put out quite a bit of free content for motor carriers that kind of walks through these various regulatory issues and, and just helping motor carriers understand their obligations. Because at the end of the day, our goal is, is similar to, to your uh, to canals. It's, it's keeping, uh, keeping the roadways safe for the motoring public. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do. Just get information out there so that um, we don't end up with, with uh, crashes. Brandon, thanks so much for being here today. It's been just a very good learning experience for me, and I know that all of our listeners out there really learned a lot as well. And we're to also find that additional help from your TruckSafe consulting firm. I very much appreciate all your help today. Hey, no problem, Susan. Really appreciate the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brandon. I know that I learned some helpful information on the NCS 150 form. And for more information on the website, please refer to the show notes. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next time on Holland Notes. Want to make sure you never miss a Holland Notes episode? Head to the link in the show notes to sign up for email notifications.